glad that uh, to have the guys be able to that can be able to do that or are willing to do it actually everybody can teach you just have to be willing to do it and uh, so we'll uh, get some more of them up here as we go so Romans 10 if you will uh, we're we're at verse number 9 um, I want to read 9 10 11 12 and 13 and then uh, get into the passage here uh, Romans 10. Uh, we're gonna. This is a tremendous passage. Uh, it's terribly misunderstood. It's terribly abused. It's terribly mistaught. It's just terrible. But it's a wonderful passage. Okay, and uh, it, it's something that it gets used by mainland Christianity, maybe even some of you, as the formula for uh, salvation for the Gentile and uh, and for the body of Christ. And I'll just say that's not correct. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, I got in trouble for telling some people over the weekend they were wrong and uh, got kind of yelled at, and that's okay. I got broad shoulders, and, you know, they were wrong. But anyway, um, when you come to verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Uh, by the way, that quote comes out of Isaiah 28. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That quote comes out of Joel 2. So if this passage is a formula for Gentile salvation, then Paul's a liar when he said his gospel was a secret and the message given to him was a secret. Because, no, Joel talked about it, Isaiah talked about it, and so forth. So you have to remember where we're at here in, in the Scripture, where we're at, and what Paul's doing in the chapter. We spent the two studies demonstrating to you, hopefully, where you understand that this chapter is very Jewish. And it's rather Paul talking to the unbelieving Israel, the unbelieving Jew, the Jew that is an apostasy. And he's describing the events and his, really, he's describing his ministry between Acts 9 and 28 there. And he's talking to them about, in, in chapter 10 here, really 9, 10, and 11 has to do with Israel. Again, 10, 1, what does he say? My heart, brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. And again, this is a very Jewish chapter. We've looked last time at Deuteronomy 30. We'll talk about that here a little bit more. And he, he's going to quote Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 30, John 8. Joel 2, Psalms, Isaiah, he's all over the Old Testament for a reason, a very specific reason. So when you come here into the chapter, and we're going to just spend our, day, our study this morning in verse number 9, because if you can catch what verse number 9 is doing, then 10, 11, 12, and 13, the end of this little section here, just kind of falls right into place. But you have to catch what he's doing in verse 9. Now, Paul, again, the chapter is very Jewish. He's talking to Israel about his Acts ministry. 
and really then their response to his ministry. And there are verses 1 to 13. Why is Israel continuing to stumble? Even in the dispensation of grace, they continue to stumble. Why is that? Well, what was their response to the earthly ministry of Christ? That's what chapter 9 was about. They stumbled over him. They missed him. What's, what has been Israel's response to Acts 1 to 7, the, the ministry of the little flock and Peter and the guys there? What'd they do there? They stumbled. Then they ultimately fall. And we saw this. We've looked at this. Well, in their fall now, salvation is going where? To the Gentiles, Romans 11, 11, But I have, Paul says, I got a provoking ministry during this diminishing period of time here. Now, at the end of Acts 28, when you conclude that chapter, the diminishing of Israel is over. They are now completely diminished away. They're not diminishing today. Okay? Acts, when you, you're, look, look at Acts 28. Look at Acts 28. 28, 28. Acts 28, 28. Be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. In chapter 13, when he says, Lo, we turn and go to the Gentiles, he makes a comment about, You should have heard this first. But seeing you rejected it, now we go to the Gentiles. In Acts 18, you should have heard this first, Israel, but you rejected it. Now we're going to the Gentiles. In Acts 28, he don't say that. He says, you've had it, I've given it to you, you've rejected it, now I'm going to the Gentiles, period. By the way, verse 29, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. He literally is now off into dealing strictly with that unbelieving Jew and that Gentile on an equal basis. Now, he's been doing it since Acts 9, but that provoking, that diminishing away of Israel is done. It is over. They are cast away now. So in chapter 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, he's going to deal with Israel. So when you come into chapter 10, again, those first 13 verses, why are they still stumbling even today? in the dispensation of grace. Because not they stumbled over the earthly ministry of the Lord, they stumbled over the Acts ministry of the little flock, and they've stumbled over Paul's ministry. And that's Paul's goal here. Paul's goal is, is you guys have it, and you ignored it, you rejected him, you rejected the little flock, and you are rejecting me, and you're doing it, chapter 14 to 20, or verse 14 to 21, because of unbelief and the lack of faith. Okay, we good? All right, chapter 11. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go back to 10.9, Romans 10, verse 9. So when we talk here, again, <laughs> this section, nine, verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, if you can catch what he's doing in verse 9, not what the mainline Christianity teaches about verse 9. This is not the formula for Gentile salvation. A Gentile would never understand what it is to confess. They don't get that. Jews understand it. They've been told it since Moses. 
to confess their sins. They, they understand. A, Jew, a Gentile does not understand that. That is a foreign concept to a, to a heathen. Why? Because what, what, is, what does your flesh say? What does a Gentile say? I am strong, and if I confess and do this stuff over here, then I am what? Weak looking, and I ain't going to do that. See? So you've got this, this issue. So chapter 10, if you'll just remember, has nothing to do with the formula for your salvation. has nothing to do with the Gentiles. Remember, it's completely Jewish. It has to do with explaining what Israel's real problem is, and that's the issue of unbelief. And again, I just want us to get a feel here about what Paul is talking about and why he's talking about, look at verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That issue of confessing with the mouth. And again, we have to remember, I, we had last, Phil filled in last week, so we're going to go back up to verse 6 and just catch the idea here that's flowing from Paul. All right? Look at verse 6, 10, 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Notice that faith is going to speak. Now watch what it says. Say, not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven. The heart is going to talk here. The heart is going to speak. So when he talks here about Paul, Paul, the faith speaking, say, not in thine heart, Paul is confronting Israel on the principle, about the principle, the righteousness uh, which is of what? Faith. Paul is bringing up this issue about faith speaking. And the fact that Israel, again, this is Deuteronomy 30, Israel has from their beginning a principle of faith instilled into them from the very beginning. And he's, so when Paul talks here about the righteousness of faith and faith speaking and the end of verse 8 there, the word of faith, those are not new concepts to a Jew. They're not new concepts. They they're, they're not foreign to, to the Jewish way of thinking. And that's why he goes back to Deuteronomy 30. He says, back here under Moses, back here, he laid into this principle of faith. Now, again, he's not talking about the content of their faith. Con- the content of faith changes as God deals with man, changes. What was Adam's faith? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. What did God tell Adam? Don't eat of the tree of the, good of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. So where does Adam's faith rest? In don't eat that tree of that tree. He doesn't rest in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He doesn't rest in build an ark. He doesn't rest in you're going to have a boy one day. By the way, that's Noah. What did Noah believe? Noah believed God and was counted. What did Abraham believe? Nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, our gospel. But what did the word of God... See, faith is a positive response to the word of God to you in that moment, at that time. By the way, faith is the only requirement of God, period. No matter where you're at and scriptural, on the dispensational timeline, what does God require? 
faith in his word, a positive response to his word. By the way, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it does not define faith. What Hebrews 11.1 1 tells you is what faith will accomplish. Faith is Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that, uh, you know, to him that worketh not, but believeth. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, faith is what? Believing what the Word of God says. What does the Word of God say today? No worky. So faith would say what? No working. So if I'm working to get saved or to stay saved, then I am unfaithful. I am an unbelief. See? Now, Christianity, religion, what do they say? You got to work it. Got to work, work, work. Faith says what? No worky, worky, worky. <laughs> no. Faith says, I'm going to believe what God says to me about who I am in Christ and where am I. And then I'm going to go and do what? The good works that I should go do. Why? Not based on a get or, a, or trying to get, uh, based on a, I got an understanding and I'm now going to come over here and serve him. Follow that? Okay, that's faith. So in 10 here, Romans 10, Paul is not talking about the content of their faith. But rather, he's dealing with the fact that faith is always what was required of God. And again, the content of faith differs all through human history. And we understand that, I hope, by now. So faith in what God says is what is required. This is not a new principle for a Jew to understand. They have the word. That's why he says there, verse Six, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thy heart, who shall ascend into heaven? Uh, come back, <laughs> hold on here, come back to Deuteronomy 30. Just, I wasn't going to do this, but you have to have this in your mind as we move forward. Deuteronomy 30, and then go back to Romans 10, verse 9, verse 6. So when faith speaks the heart talks. That's why he gets down there in verse 10, Romans 10.10 10 is where I'm at. Stick your finger in Deuteronomy 30. Romans 10.10, 10, what does he say? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So the heart is what's going to be doing the speaking, the confessing, the talking. What's going on? The heart is what talks. So when we come to 10.9 and we're going to talk about confessing, Again, the religion, the religionist, the self-righteousness, the keeping the righteousness of the law, they make that an outward performance and an outward work. And they literally have you confessing a certain phrase that if you don't use this phrase, you are destined for eternal damnation. And if you, did you guys see the Roman Catholic priest that changed one word? That was here, I mean, they were talking about it in California, here locally. And, though, and he, he's been doing it for like 20-something years. Tens and hundreds of thousands of baptisms have been wiped from the roll they were talking about. Because he did what? Messed up one word. But he didn't mess up the word. Their system is messed up. Because that baptism is what gets them into 
the pearly gates. See, that's what they do. They use this, come to confessional. So what do they do? I've never been in a confessional. Some of you have. Father, it's been what? 50 years since my last confession. But you've got to say that to in order to trigger the relationship. Say, I know that much. I wasn't, I've never been Catholic. I talked to a few. See, so the problem, see how religion comes in and says, this has got to be a work. This has got to be something you do. And if you don't do it, guess what's going to happen? You're in trouble. Now, Romans 10, look at verse 8. But again, verse 9, say not in thy heart, I'm sorry, verse 6, faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart. Verse 8, but what saith it? Again, notice the mouth, the heart, who's speaking here? The heart does. This isn't a verbal thing. Religion makes it verbal. There's something going on in the inner man here. There's something here. We're talking about words. Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah says, I found, I, I found your word and I did eat them. Now, he literally didn't take the page and gobble it down. What did he do? He took the page put it in his inner man. You see, we're talking inner man thing here. Now, Israel's problem is they're in unbelief. They have no inner man issue, and that's what Paul's pushing them to. My heart's desire for Israel is that they would be what? Saved. Not saved into the little flock, saved into the body of Christ. See, when you come, again, 10.8. So is, what does he say? What does, what saith it? What's the what? Faith. The heart. Verse 6 and 7. What is it saying here to you? What's it saying? And what happens is, is all through the Old Testament, we saw this last time, I'm not going to repeat all that, is that the mouth and the heart go hand in hand. So Paul, again, is using very, he's using specific language that Israel, that the Jews would be familiar with as he's pressing the issue of their lack of faith. That issue of what are you believing in the inner man. Now go to Deuteronomy 30. And look here, the quote, verse 14. The quote, 30, 14. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Now notice that verse. Notice how the mouth, Deuteronomy 30, 14, the mouth and the heart are connected. But what's, connect, what's the issue? His word. Well, what are they to do? Verse 11, for this commandment which I command thee this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far, from, far off. What they, they had it. Chapter 11, they're to write it on the doorpost. They're to, write, they're to put it everywhere, put it on their forehead, put it on their eyes. Could you imagine? I don't think he's literally talking about them writing it on their eyes, but it's to be what? Ever-present in front of them. It is not, verse 12, it is not in heaven that thou shouldest say. It's not afar off, it's what? It's nigh unto thee. 
Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? You don't have to do that, Israel. Israel, you can't say that. It's right there. It's been given to you. Verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. You can't do that, Israel. It's right here, verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee. You've got the word. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. And the issue here is it's not the information, the word isn't hidden from you. So when you come back to Romans 10, Paul that's why Paul, throughout his Acts ministry, and again, we saw this two times ago, two weeks ago, he con- he confr- he go- as his manner was, where did he go? The synagogue. What does he do in the synagogue? He reasons out of the scriptures. What scriptures is he using? The only one we got is the Old Testament. And what's he concluding? That the Old Testament is talking about Jesus being who? The very Christ, the Messiah. See? So Paul is, why? Because the Old Testament, they had it. And he over and over, again, we saw it, Acts 9. We saw it, Acts 13. We saw it, Acts 17. We saw it, Acts 18. Over and over again, Paul goes in there, 10.8, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Over and over again, Paul is saying, you had the word. You had it in your heart and in your mouth, and you know what? You didn't believe the word. You don't believe the scripture. How many times does the Lord say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, have ye not read? Have, don't you know the scriptures? Man, that thing with Nicodemus uh, in uh, John 3, he says, you're a master in Israel, and you don't, remember, you don't know Jeremiah 36 or Jeremiah 31? You don't know that? You have no clue about this issue? And you're, but he's supposed to. Over and over. And so Paul here, again, I, Romans 10, I got, I got moving. <laughs> Romans 10, he's warning Israel, don't respond the same way you have been all along. You, by the way, you can have the word of God in your heart and in your mouth and still be in unbelief. That's what he's demonstrating here. Because you have to do what? You have to believe it. We all know people who can quote the book forward and backwards, up and down, and don't believe it. We all know people, I, if you don't, you've got to get out there, get to the swap meet a little bit and talk to people. Guess what they know? They know the book up and down, backwards and straight, and yet they don't believe it. Even modern Christianity today, there's been the stuff going on in Ukraine and everything, and people are talking and stuff. And you got the truckers going across the nation and all this stuff, and there are people talking about it. And you know what? Bottom line is, is you don't believe the verses. You've got it. It's sitting there. But yet, what do you have to do? You have to believe it. And if you're not going to believe it, it's just what? It's just, it's just information. So Paul here, 10.8, but what saith it? Talking about faith, the mouth, the heart. 
The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of what? Faith. Pressing that issue. Then he says, which we preach. Now, the which we preach is the, that's the punch in the stomach. Because what were they saying about Paul, Romans 9? He's a liar. He says, I speak the truth in Christ, I lie not. You know what, they're, they're withstanding him the whole of chapter 9. Paul says, no, we've been preaching the, the word of faith over here to you. We're just not doing it in your program. We're telling you about a new program. And what you did in your old program, we're telling you don't do in the new program. The renewed opportunity over here. Think about this. Israel, nationally, had a bite at the apple three times. The earthly ministry of Christ, the ministry of the little flock, and in the Acts ministry of the Apostle Paul. And what did they do in each three? Reject, reject, reject. And that's what Paul's do. He's like, don't do this. You've got it. So in, chapter, in verse 9, it, again, if you can catch what he's doing here, just because they had the word in their mouth doesn't mean that there was an inner man transformation in their heart. They still rejected their Messiah. They still rejected the ministry of the little flock. And now they're rejecting the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So what does he say? Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy, what? Mouth. Well, the word is in your mouth. Again, this is a rebuke, by the way. This, look, at, look at 1017. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Boy, we love that verse, don't we? Man, we use it, we use it positively, but in the context of chapter 10, it is a negative, not a positive. It's a rebuke of Israel. It's a rebuke to them. Israel, think about this. Israel's fundamental problem has been unbelief. They have all the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, Luke 24, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms spoke of him. And what did they do to him? Rejected him, ultimately killing him. What did the Old Testament talk about? Coming, a Messiah, a deliverer, a redeemer. And as Israel studied that information, their response to the Lord was one of rejection rather than belief. They didn't believe that he was fulfilling any of it. We'll see here in a minute. And John, they actually kill him because he says he was equal with God. And everything he was doing demonstrated that he was who? God. And they kill him. And again, this is the focus here now in 10.9 of Paul. You're going to reject <laughs> you're going to reject this new message the same way you rejected the Lord Jesus Christ because you're doing it out of unbelief. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, as a dad with a kid, don't do that, you know, and that's what he's doing. And again, you have to remember this this whole chapter 
Israel's problem, they have the words in their mouth. They have the words in their heart. Yet there's no internal change. There's no faith there. No spiritual change. So what do they do? They reject. And literally, Paul's going to challenge them to believe. That's what he's going to do here. He's going to, you need to acknowledge who Christ is, and you need to acknowledge what he's doing today in the dispensation of grace. And they're not going to do it. So, lo, we go to the Gentiles. The ultimate conclusion here, as we get into 10.9, is they have rejected. They have the information. They got the word. They've just rejected it. And Paul's warning, his heart's desire, his cry is, don't do that. Now, look at verse 9. Again, why... I say all that for 30 minutes now, okay, which means we're not going to get as far down the road as I want to, because it's critical when we come to the issue of confessing. Look at verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. For them to confess, what, do, what is that? It had Confessing has to do with acknowledging something. I confess that it's going to be 80 degrees today. How do I know that? Or actually it was 80 yesterday. How do I know that? I'm acknowledging something that was real. They have to, when, for them to confess is for them to acknowledge what the Old Testament Scripture has said and what they're teaching and who they are teaching about. And follow that? The word, thou shalt confess with thy, the word that's in their mouth is Deuteronomy 30. It isn't Paul's gospel. We haven't got there yet. What are they, look at what it says. Every word in the verse is critical. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the gospel. No, who? The Lord Jesus. So their confession has to do with acknowledging what the Old Testament has said about who he, they're teaching about. So when you begin to talk about confession for the Jew, it's critical to understand how they think about confessing and really about being saved. Um, 10.1, if you look at 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be, what? Saved. Now, that's how we, how do, when we think about being saved, we think about being saved unto eternal life, justified unto eternal life. That's, but that word saved and salvation has, it carries a big meaning. To be saved means to be rescued from turmoil or hurt or harm. That's all the word means in the dictionary. But in Israel's case, there is quite a, they have, I heard it called one time, a salvation package. And I was like, wow, because there's more than one element to them. And, and, and it ha carries multiple different parts. Do you know to be a Jew, you had to be a descendant of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's part of their salvation package. 
okay? Part of their salvation package was enduring to the end, that they could be what? Saved. Well, the end of what? Well, the tribulation, the 70th week, that's the context, okay? But they, if they didn't endure to the end, what were they not? They were not saved. Their ultimate eternal life, Mark 9 demonstrates this, that their ultimate eternal life was the kingdom. wasn't dying and going to heaven. wasn't dying and being here. It was into that kingdom. Hebrews 11 says about Abraham that he never received the promises, but he saw them what? Afar off. He never received them, but he by faith knew they were coming, so he got to see them in the distance out there spiritually. Again, you... Another component of their salvation is coming out of that apostate nation. And again, there's several more, okay? So when you think about them confessing, again, 10-9 is not you confessing. You don't think that way. You would actually argue differently. As members of the body of Christ, we don't think that way. But for a Jew, they think about confessing in a different manner. That issue of coming out of the apostate nation. Come over to Acts 2. Acts 2. Peter says it in Acts 2 the clearest. But for Peter to say it means that the Lord is who taught it to him. In the earthly ministry of Christ, he is constantly pointing out the apostasy of the nation. Woe unto you hypocrites! Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. You're the masters. You don't know this. He's constantly pointing out that apostasy, that vain religious system. Second Acts chapter 2, you got verse 37. Peter's done preaching. By the way, he preaches in, in, in chapter 2 here, starting in verse 22 down to 36, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But he preaches it in fulfillment of Israel's program, and it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what are they going to do? First, they've got to repent they got to change their mind about the guy they just killed. Verses 22 to 36, who was he? He was Messiah. He was Lord and Christ. That in there, uh, the end of verse 36, he's Lord and Christ. He's Lord, he's the judge, he's Christ, and he's Messiah. And you killed him. we got to change our thinking about what we just did. Then we got to go over here and do baptism, uh, be baptized over here. But notice it's baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of, for, not to get, but for a future event. Come over to chapter 3. I'm getting off subject, but that's okay. 319. You, folks, you've got to have all this in your brain when you come to Romans 10, 9, or at least have a sliver of it. Because if you don't, you're going to break your spiritual neck over this verse. Because you're going to make it you, and it ain't you. And then you're going to come over and you're going to make it a requirement for someone else, and it ain't a requirement for them at all. It's a warning to Israel of wake up, smell the coffee, man. God's doing something else, and faith has always been the issue, and your lack of faith has put you in the condition you're in. 
What did I tell you? Three? 319. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins are blotted out. Maybe. That's a future deal, but when? When is the maybe? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And you study that out, and you know what that is? That's the kingdom, the coming kingdom. So when you come back to 2, keep uh, uh, verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. By the way, the, the are afar off there are not Gentiles. That is the scattered little flock on, uh, as of Acts 8, verse 1. They've been scattered abroad. Okay, They're scattered here under the Babylonian captivity, under the fifth course of judgment. Leviticus 26, they're scattered. They're in that condition now. They're scattered. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this what? Untoward generation. Get out of that apostate nation. The Lord told them to get out. Peter's told them to get out. And now in Acts, Paul's telling them the same thing. As Paul goes into the synagogues, and as he provokes Israel, confronting the Jews, he's using language of getting out of the apostate nation and become a part of the body of Christ, not the little flock. The little flock is sealed and set and done. He's talking about, you come over here and be a part of this new program and the new. And if you struggle with that, read Ephesians 2. It's very clear that he takes of twain, twain, the Jew and the Gentile, and he makes what? One new man. He takes the Jew and the Gentile, he's making something new. So when we come to talk about confessing, back to chapter 10, confessing with thy mouth, Paul is confronting Israel. Get out of that apostate nation. Get over here where God, in what God's doing today, forming the church, the body of Christ. And that's, so again, so being saved has a very different connotation to the Jews. It has to do with getting out of that apostate, that unbelieving nation, and getting into what God's doing. You follow that? I hope you catch that. Then he says, confessing with thy mouth. First verse that ought to come to mind when he says that is 1 John 1, 9. Do you know 1 John 1, 9? Wonderful church-going verse. <laughs> Preachers use it all the time to keep you under the thumb. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do you got to do, man? You got to confess it. Got to lay it out there. Come back to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. And on your way, get 1 Kings 8 and Matthew 3 and Romans 10. <laughs> get Leviticus 26. I'll just show you that this issue of confessing is not anything new to a Jew who studied the Old Testament, who studied the book. The word is in their mouth and in their heart, but yet they're still walking in unbelief. You know you can memorize stuff that's absolutely worthless. That's what they're doing. That's what they have treated the scriptures like. We just 
I remember uh, growing up, we never went to public schools. My parents made that decision growing up in Chicago, but we would go to Christian schools. We went to a Lutheran school for a couple years. And as you get through in the 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, you go to catechism. I go, Dad, what do I have to do here? He goes, just memorize it to get the grade. I'm like, okay. So I did. And on to this day, I don't remember any of it until I hear somebody say it, and then what happens? It triggers, and boom, boom, you know, then I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 you know. That's what they're doing. Let's memorize it to get mom off our back, you know. I had a Jewish guy who was my manager when I worked at Bash's, and I asked him, I said, how often do you go to temple? He goes, well, my mom twists my ear. And I go, really? He goes, oh, no, she literally twists my ear. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, so only on the big holidays did he go. Well, but you know what he could do? He could recite everything. 2640. 2640. In Leviticus 26, you have the five courses of judgment that are chastisements, they're called. Uh, Schofield calls them that. I call them judgments because that's what they are. In order for them to get out from underneath any of the judgments at any time, they were to do verse 40. If they shall, what? Confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass which they trespassed against me and that also they have walked contrary unto me if they've trespassed against god and walked contrary to god what did they do they disobeyed god's word to them so what do they have to confess we did it exactly i we we did what you said we did we did that's what Daniel does in Daniel 9. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says what 1 John 1, verse 9 says. What do they do? They're confessing. Matthew 3, you go over to Matthew, you don't have to go there, go to 1 Kings 8. Matthew 3, in verse 6, what are they doing with John the Baptist down in Jordan River? They're confessing their sins. They, why? Because it's time for the Messiah to come. It's time for the little flock to It's time for the kingdom to come. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you do when you're going to repent? You're going to change your mind about what's going on? What do I have to do? I've got to go confess my... Confessing was nothing new for Israel. They understood that. Look at... Look at... Uh, get 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8. And then go back to Romans... Get 1 Kings 8 and, get, and go back to Romans 10. Get 1 Kings 8 and verse 33. So Israel is very familiar with the idea of confessing. Guess who told them? Guess who taught them that? Moses did. And who do they read daily? Moses. So it's right there. So when Paul says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth... They're like, okay, yeah, we understand that. Okay. Now, look at 833. 1 Kings 833. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy. So if they're being smitten down, is this a good day in Israel's history or a bad day? It's a bad day. Because as long as they were obeying the word of God, he was their banner. He was their conqueror. He was their Jehovah. He was winning the battle. But if they weren't, then he would allow the enemy to do what with them? Take them, exactly. So this is not a bad, this is not a good day. Because they have sinned against thee and shall turn against, again to thee. So they 
walking contrary, but now they're trying to get back right. Now watch what they have to do. And confess, now watch, thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house. Do you see, who, what do they have to do? They have to confess thy name. Now look at Romans 10:9, and notice what Paul says. Confess with thy mouth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the who? The Lord Jesus. It's confessing something very specific. Are you with me? 1 Kings 8, 33. They're going to confess thy name. Paul comes in and says, hey, you got to confess the Lord Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, when Israel was to be restored back to Jehovah, they have, Leviticus 26 already told them they're going to rebel. Leviticus 26 has already given them their history. By the way, in Deuteronomy 30, 31, 32, Paul, uh, Paul, Moses repeats Leviticus 26 to him again. says, by the way, you're going to do this again. And in order for them to get right, they have to, the remedy is confessing, confession, but it's not just confessing their transgression, it's confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, thy name. Are you with Okay, now, go back there to 1 Kings 8. I hope, hopefully you held it. If not, I'm sorry. Go back to 8. So when Paul says, you're gonna, you're, if thou shalt confess with thy, thy mouth the Lord Jesus, he's not just referencing, dear Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. He's not talking about that at all. Now, dumb thump Christians use that. I shouldn't say dumb but ignorant of what's going on in chapter 10. 1 Kings 8, verse 34. We just read 33. And confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in in this house. Then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people, Israel, and bring them again into the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have Send against thee, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them. Notice, what is the remedy? Confessing thy name, repenting, laying it all on there. Israel is in judgment when they're to do this. By the way, in chapter 10 of Romans, isn't Israel in a judgment? They've been accursed. They've been set aside. They're diminishing away. They're being cast away. And what does Paul bring up? What does God through Paul says? You need to confess my name. So then what does that mean? What does confessing his name talking about? Well, it's not just blurting out the name. Lord Jesus Christ. Because all you got to do is go down here to the construction site, and it won't take you too long before you hear the name of the Lord used. It didn't blurting out his name. Hey, you remember that devil in Acts, and he says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Remember that guy? The devils know the name Jesus. It isn't about blurting it out. It's about understanding something about who he 
is. The issue of confessing is about who he is and how he seeks to relate to the people of Israel. Look at Exodus 33. Exodus 33. I just told myself we'll just go as far as we can and pick up where we leave off. Exodus 33. Because I'll be honest with you folks, you've got to catch this. Because if you don't, and I hate to go from one week to the next because in the middle of the week you forget everything. Exodus 33. But you've got to catch this issue of confessing his name and what it's talking about for Israel. Acts 33, verse 18. By the way, if you, if you as a Gentile, do you remember what the Lord says to him in Matthew 6 when they say, teach us to pray? And he says, don't pray like the heathen pray through what? Much repetition? You see, when you as a heathen pray, he ain't hearing you. All it is is just noise. What, and what are you doing? Oh, dear God, help, you know, blah, 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 you know, if you give me an A on this test, I'll be good to go and I'll go to church on Sunday, you know. He's just not, that's just vain repetition. For Israel, though, when they were to stop, they had something very special. They had a special relationship there. Exodus 33, look at verse 18. Exodus 33, 18. Moses is, and Jehovah are talking. The Lord is talking. And he said, Jehovah's speaking here. Uh, I'm sorry, Moses is talking to Jehovah. He, that'll be Moses, said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he, there's Jehovah, said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. You see that capital L-O-R-D? That's Jehovah. That's who he is. Now, you'll have a Jehovah and then a God, Lord God, and the G-O-D, how it's capped, will tell you whether it's God the Father or God the Son, or who's talking. That's how you tell that, okay? And then the capital G-O-D will have a capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. So, you know, you were talking about Jehovah Elohim or Jehovah uh, Emmanuel. Who are we talking about, okay? He says, verse 8, 19, I will be... Uh, I uh, will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What's, he do, what's, Mo, what's Jehovah just saying to Moses? You're going to know me how? You're going to know me as being gracious, as being merciful, as being long-suffering, aren't you? That's how you're to know me. Chapter 34, chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Here's Jehovah. And the Lord passed by him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. See that capital L-O-R-D, the, little, the capital G little? There's, here's the Son. Here's Jehovah the Son. God the Son. Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will be no mean. I'm sorry. And that will by no means clear the guilty. And off you go. So how, when they confess his name, how, what were they taught? When they do that, how were they confessing him? As 
avenger and deliverer and pouring out wrath, or as gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping, that's how they were confessing. They were literally sitting there saying, look, Lord, Jehovah, we need you to be here, and we need you to be here as gracious and merciful and long-suffering. We don't want the wrath side of you. We want the grace side of you, if you will allow me to say it that way. Because what what also could they know him by? He's a man of war. He's the Lord of war. You follow that? So when they confess his name, what that means is, is let's bring out, come back to chapter 3 of Exodus. He's talked, the information that they had in the Old Testament here, prior to his earthly ministry, prior to him coming, this information is in their mouth, Deuteronomy 30. It's about who he is and who they needed him to be. So they need to confess him. They need to acknowledge him as the God of mercy and long-suffering and goodness and truth and forgiving. That's who they needed him to be. Look at Exodus 3, verse 13. And, when, and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me. The great I am. Think about that. Jehovah, come over to chapter 6, verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. How did he appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? As who? God Almighty. Creator. Judge. Boom. Here it is. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But now watch the rest of that verse. But my name, Jehovah. Was I not known to them? And now what do they need to know him by? Jehovah. See? So when you come back, come back to John chapter 8. That, that Old Testament set it up for them. So that when they were to confess thy name, there was something there that they were to be acknowledging about who the Lord, who Jehovah was. That's what they're to confess. You know what they're to say? We're a sinner. We know we messed up, but you're gracious and merciful and long-suffering and a forgiver of iniquities. <laughs> and that's what, we're hope- that's what we want to work on right there. That's the side of you we want to work on. And you know what he would have done? He would have went in and took care of the situation. Look at John 8. Fascinating here. Oh, man, that clock. Can somebody stop it? Look at John 8. Look at verse 20, oh, 23, John 8, 23. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, who art thou? Now, the, he's talking to the Pharisees here. 
What did he just say in 23 and 24? I've been telling you, I am. Now, the he is in italics because you need the he to finish the English, make the English work. What's he been telling them? I'm Jehovah. I'm the son of the living God. I'm, I am all, what that Old Testament's been telling you guys about. I am, and look at these guys. Look at what they ask him. Who are you? And Jesus said unto them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. Ooh. The beginning. Then the question is, is the beginning of what? How about the beginning of Israel? What's Moses been telling them? The great I am's coming. This is what he's going to do. Come back to chapter 5, if, if you want to be a little more specific. How about the beginning of his earthly ministry? Chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God, what's he been doing from the beginning? Go back to chapter 8. He's been saying, I'm what? I'm God. I'm equal to God. I am. That's who I am. I, I'm Jehovah. And they have the audacity to look at him and say, who are you? And he, chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus Christ saying the same thing that Paul is saying to him. Look, the Old look at the Old Testament talks about him. Says something about who the Messiah is, what he will do. Christ says, look at me, look at what I've said, look at what I've done, and I am he. I am Jehovah. Paul comes in and says, Israel, new message, new program. You killed the Messiah. Your response to Christ was in unbelief. Your heart condition is unbelief. You killed him. I'm standing here, and I'm revealing a new program to you, a new side, a, a new set of information about the same guy. And you know what you're doing? You're rejecting me. And you're guilty of that. Paul looks at Israel and says, you can recite all the law, the prophets, and yet you refuse to confess him. You refuse to acknowledge him. You refuse to acknowledge all that doctrine about who has been talking about, and you refuse to confess that. So now go back to Romans 10, and we'll have to pick up here the second part of that verse. Doggone it. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now circle the next word, and. Confession, folks, is not a formula for eternal life for the Gentile today. But rather, it's a description of what Paul, in Acts 9 to 28, was doing as he presented who Christ was. 
who was, when Paul would go in and he would reason out of, he would say he is the very Christ. He is Christ. He's what? He's who the Old Testament's been talking about. He's the one. In Israel, you knew it. It's right there on your mouth. It's right there in your heart. You just don't believe it. So you rejected it. Now, we'll get into verse 9. We'll pick up at the and. Because he's going to answer their problem. Give them a little help. <laughs> and guess what they're going to do to Paul? They're going to the, reject him, and they're going to lay out the plot to kill him. And here's the guy that stands right in between them and the wrath of God. And they just, over the edge they go, okay? All right, so next week we'll get 10-9, part 2. And hope maybe we'll finish out then 11, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Please get the flow. This is not talking about you. It's talking about Israel and confessing the name. It isn't confessing your sins. That's what religion says. It's confessing who, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll give you one verse. You can write it down. John 20, John 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Very, very specific. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions here. And Lord, I just pray that as we continue, as we think about these things, we would uh, allow the, the words to work in our, in our inner man, in our heart, take them to heart, believe them, and put them into the details of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see.